You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 141 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Coming to you today with a new format. We are recording over Skype, and we will explain why in just a moment. On today's show, we preview the Virginia Tech-Boston College game as the Hokies look to move to 3-1. and one. It all gets started right now. Welcome back inside the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's great to have you with us, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. We are so glad you could join us today as we record on Thursday, October 15th. Our crew today, we've got our general manager and founder, Will Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, great to have you with us. A reminder, this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, and to date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, time, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or you can email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Again, great to have you with us. Episode 141 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Will Stewart, let me start with you. How are you doing today? Doing well, Evan. How are you? I'm doing well. Chris Coleman, how are you? Oh, I'm as good as can be expected. How are you? Uh, doing well. Your Atlanta Braves are doing really well, Chris. No, they're Coleman. not. It's a good, it, they're, <laughs> they're not, Evan. I, 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 when they were up seven nothing in Game Three, I turned the television on, and the Dodgers immediately hit a three-run homer, and <laughs> then the Dodgers won fifteen to three last night. So ever since I turned the television on, the Dodgers have outscored the Braves twenty-two to four, and the Braves outscored the Dodgers twelve to one before I turned the television on. So. Hey, so so can I say something here? I, I know people make fun of the Fansville commercials, but I actually kind of like them. So there's the fan, there's the Dr. Pepper Fansville commercial where the guy supposedly jinx, jinxes the kicker. Uh-huh. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I know what the one you're talking about, yeah. That's that's the world Chris Coleman is living in right now. He turns on the television and he jinxes the Braves. Yeah, yeah. Just Listen, wait till Saturday. It's a good time to be Chris Coleman, okay? The Packers are off to a great start. Aaron and Rogers I haven't watched it. a single Packers game. They're, <laughs> they're undefeated. The Braves are going to the World Series, and I'm knocking uh, on wood for you right now. They're going to be fine. And uh, and the Hokies are playing well. We're going to talk a lot about the Hokies today on episode 141 of the Tech Sideline podcast. 
big one on Saturday in Lane Stadium. The Boston College Eagles, the Virginia Tech Hokies. We're going to break it all down here on episode 141 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. But I do want to take a moment. I'm going to turn it over to Will real quick. Again, we are recording on Skype. We are doing something new today. And with more on that, here's Will Stewart. Okay, so uh, the, the the reason we're doing this as an audio-only podcast today is um, our producer, our video producer, we only have one of them, Malcolm, and and Malcolm is just completely slammed, and uh, he got to talking to us saying, man, I got this to do, I got that to do, um, so we got to thinking about maybe it's time to transition into doing a, attempting to do a remote podcast, so to back up a little bit and give you a little bit of history, um, as everybody who watches the Tech Sideline podcast knows that we've got the set here in the office. We put a ton of time and effort and money into that. And so, you know, we, we started in the fall of 2019. We were doing podcasts and, and we kind of refined all that. And where we were headed with that was having guests in studio on the set. And we had finally reached a point last February or March, and I think you know what's coming. We finally reached a point last February or March where we, we were starting to have guests come into the podcast studio. We had, uh, I think we had Andy Bitter on first, right, Evan? And then we had David Teal on, and that went great. And we were just like, man, this is awesome. We're going to be able to have people come in here and sit with us, and this is going to be incredible. And then COVID happened. And the whole idea of people coming into your office and being and sitting in close quarters and being on your podcast went away. So, um, it, you know, we, we kind of hung around and, and waited to see how things were going to happen. And, and, uh, as everyone knows, this situation has dragged on for seven months now. And I have stubbornly resisted doing remote podcasts because we're not set up to do it. And, uh, finally with, with Malcolm saying, you know, I'm not really available. I thought, all right, this is time. Let's, let's give it a run. So, um, we're, it's funny. We're recording at 1130 in the morning. We wanted to start at 1030. So we had our Zoom call all set up. And here are me and Evan on Zoom. We're ready to go. Evan's in his apartment. I'm in the TSL office. Chris is in his apartment because, you know, we want to truly do this remote and get the craft and get it down. So Evan and I are on the Zoom call and Chris cannot get Zoom to work. So we spent. So let me cut to the chase. We don't want to be on Skype. There's a reason that Skype had a three touchdown lead over Zoom and blew it. It's not as good. Okay. So we're we're sitting there struggling with our audio levels and getting our speakers to work and getting our mics to work. So that's kind of where we are. We 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 um discussed just bailing on today's podcast entirely. Um and but we but we just want to go ahead and do it. We want to preview the Boston College game. We want to bring you the the podcast. So forgive us if our audio levels are up and down or not perfect or whatever. We're really supposed to be over on Zoom doing this, but we gotta we gotta get that figured out with Chris. So that's kind of a long story about where we were headed with the podcast and how we stubbornly refused to do remote stuff. But if we get this part of it down, then we can have guests on. You know. We, we just can't wait anymore for people to be able to come into the office and it's time to be able to, to do guests remotely through, uh, through zoom. So whether we're in person or virtual, we're still bringing great content here on the tech sideline podcast. So uh, it's great to have you with us. A reminder that the tech sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast regional training center. And we're getting closer and closer to wrestling season. Aren't we? Well, 
We are, and we are working on planning a podcast with Tony Roby, and that's also, you know, another reason to to try to get to where we can do things remotely. And uh, uh, we're looking forward to that. I think uh, I've already told Jake Lyman to to bone up on his wrestling and get ready to interview Tony Roby. And we are also brought to you by Campus Emporium. We've gotten to feature a lot of great items over the last couple of weeks on the podcast. I, I know we're recording only on audio, but I'm looking at Will right now, and I can see the Virginia Tech sign in the background. I can see the Yeti in the background as well. And, and uh, Will, it's a great time to go over to uh, Campus Emporium and, and go get some hokey stuff. So if you look at the site, uh, we have uh, we switched our featured item yesterday to something called a color block sweatshirt which I am told is very stylish. So uh, head on over to Tech Sideline, see if you can find a link to that. And if not, just uh, just go over to uh, campusemporium.com and search on uh, color block sweatshirt. And we'll try to get our uh, video portion of this uh, re- remote production cranked up as soon as we can so we can get back to showing their stuff. With that, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Virginia Tech looking to bounce back following a 56-45 to loss to North Carolina on Saturday in Chapel Hill, its first loss of the season. Meanwhile, Boston College comes into Lane Stadium as one of the hottest teams in the ACC. But we begin the podcast with this. On Monday, Virginia Tech head coach Justin Fuente announced that Hendon Hooker would be the starting quarterback for this weekend. Chris, I'll start with you. Given the amount of playing time Braxton Burmeister has had to begin the season, were you surprised by Coach Fuente announcing Hooker as the starter for this Saturday? No, I was not. I think it seemed obvious after the UNC game that he brings the best balance to the offense. And Virginia Tech runs the ball really, really well. And I I think that's going to open up some things in the passing game, but for that to happen and take advantage of it, you need your best passing quarterback in there. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't surprised by it. No, I could, I could have easily seen him come out and say, Oh, we're still evaluating blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I wrote in my Sunday column that like, even if he says that it's would just be to throw Boston college off because I think he very much intends to, uh, to uh, start Hendon Hooker this week. Uh, and, and he actually went ahead and announced that. So I'm not surprised by it. I'm good with it. And now we've, we finally get to see how the offense looks w- with the guy who was intended to be the starting quarterback and with a good running game behind him. Will, what were your thoughts? Um, I don't think I can add a whole lot to what Chris said. Uh, you know, so one of the things that I really like uh, – Braxton Burmeister in the running game. Um, I, th- I think he makes good decisions, and I think that uh, he's he's his speed is is probably underrated. He's very fast, and his vision is good. And so, again, as we've said repeatedly, um, Hooker probably runs the passing game better. Burmeister probably runs the running game better. But how much better is Burmeister in the running game than Hooker? I'm not sure. So, so what I'm headed towards here is. The gap between Hooker and Burmeister in the running game, I think, is small. I think in the passing game, it's actually a fairly large gap. We've got um, three games, of, well, two and a half games of evidence for Braxton Burmeister right now. And in my opinion, he's just not ready, you know. Um, and Hendon looked a little rusty at the beginning when he got in against uh, North Carolina. But um, I think that. I think having seen, having known what we're going to get from Hendon Hooker when he's when he's truly back in the flow of things, and having seen two and a half games worth of evidence from Braxton Burmeister, 
I think just overall that uh, um, I think they're going to get better um, efficiency and, and, and operation out of the offense from Hen and Hooker. And the other thing that, and I said this in my Monday column, there's something about when Hendon Hooker's at quarterback, I think the whole team plays better. There's a different mojo to him, and that's not a criticism of Braxton Burmeister. And in the case of Ryan Willis last year, Willis, Willis was hurt, you know, and nobody knew that, and that's why he was ineffective. But, but I just know that last year when they switched from Willis to Hooker, that the entire operation, not just the offense, seemed to get better. And I think this time around, I'm interested in seeing what happens on Saturday night. Um, uh, clearly, the defense struggled against UNC all game long. Um, but I just, I just wonder if the entire team has a different mojo to it when, when Hooker is at, at the quarterback position. Chris, it was announced at the beginning of the year that Hendon Hooker would be the starter, but Braxton Burmeister had earned playing time. Given the way that Hooker played in the second half, especially against North Carolina, do you expect to see Burmeister rotate in, or do you think this is the Hendon Hooker show on Saturday? Uh, my gut feeling is that it's probably the Hendon Hooker show. Um, I, you know, now if Tech comes out there and starts struggling offensively, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll try something different. But I think when you've got when you play against a really good defense like Boston College has, this will be the best defense Tech faces. I think you need balance, and Hendon Hooker brings brings the most balance. So. I, I, ju- I just you're at this point you're re- the tech offense has been good. I mean they've put up really really good numbers, 45 points, 38 points, 45 points. No matter, and that's with their starting quarterback only playing one half of football. So at this point, I think you kind of want to see what they look like with the starter playing a whole game and then two back to back games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so. He, he didn't come out and say what was going to happen and, and, and everything like that. He, I know before the season he said Burmeister was going to play, but now that he has three games of evidence, has he changed his mind on that? I'm not sure anybody in the media asked, asked him about that on Monday. I know they asked Hendon Hooker about it, and he said something like, no idea, no clue. So, uh, <laughs> And I don't know, you know, he could be telling the truth there or he could just be hiding it. Um, I, I would personally ju- just roll with Hooker at this point. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think um, it's going to be really interesting because I, I know coaches have have a certain plan in mind. Um, and if you look at the last game, uh, Burmeister started, and I think he ran three or four series, and they brought Hendon in for for one series of three and out, and then they play Burmeister the rest of the half. Um, I wonder if Justin Fuente has in his mind. So the point I bring that up is when you looked at it, it's almost like they made the decision. We're going to bring Hooker in for this series and and run that one series. And that's all we're going to do in the first half. So I wonder what Fuente's thinking. I wonder if he's thinking regardless of how things go, I'm bringing uh, Burmeister in on the third or fourth series. Or I wonder if he's going to get into the game and kind of see how things are going and make a decision on the fly. Now, one thing I typically do on these preview podcasts is I ask you guys, what does Virginia Tech need to improve upon in this week of practice before (laughs) their next game? And as I was preparing for this podcast, I said, well, I'm not going to ask that question because I think we all know where we're going and and we're going to talk about the defense. So let me phrase this question to you, and I'm going to start with Will. Will Virginia Tech look better on Saturday defensively? 
Well, first of all, if, if you want to ask what part of the operation needs to improve, I would say it's Brian Johnson. I'm very disappointed in him, only making <laughs> 17 in a row, you know, hitting your career 55-yarder. You know, he needs to do better. Recovering his own onside kick. Right. You just a perfectly executed onside kick. You know, I just... Uh, so all kidding aside, um, I totally forgot what the question was. Just what can we expect? I think everybody knows from last week, this week, what needs to improve for this team is the defense. So yeah. what should we expect from the Virginia Tech defense this week? Wow. Um, so that's that's the hundred thousand dollar question. And and if you were if you were playing against a team that had been running the football a lot all year, then then you would know that that's the thing to watch. Um, and, and Boston College, uh, Chris and I are trying to figure out where they are with the running game because they barely tried to run this year. Uh, but they've got it. They've got a running back, David Bailey, who's 6'0", 236, and, and I think he ran for eight or 900 yards last year in relief of A.J. Dillon, um, a guy who got a lot of carries himself. So Bailey's got the ability. They haven't used him much. And Fuente made a comment on Monday about, well, I think they're going to get their tailback back and Chris and I kind of looked at each other like, uh, well, they've already got him. He's played in every game. So we're kind of trying to figure out what's going on there. And we're wondering if BC is going to watch that UNC Virginia Tech game film and change things up and decide to run. Because I, I think against North Carolina, Chris, was it they threw 50-some passes and 19 rushes? I think it was 56 or 53 passes, and they, and they ran it 19 times. And that includes three sacks. Right, so not true running plays. Um, so I, I just clearly what's what's got to get better is there were there were large holes on the perimeter that uh, that UNC exploited. The uh, Virginia Tech defensive ends uh, rushed out wide on a number of occasions. The uh, defensive tackles got swamped. The linebackers didn't fill very well or at all, and the safeties didn't fill very well or at all. And that's an awful lot to watch. And you know, as, as bad as it looked against North Carolina, <laughs> um, I hope these aren't famous last words, but it can't be that bad again, surely. So um, I think the things to look for are put up a, a little more resistance at the line of scrimmage than what we've seen. And let's see how the linebackers feel, because we already know we're I, I don't Chris, I don't know if Fuente has uh, said this, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see Divine Diablo back and he'll he'll fill on the running plays better. So. That's the stuff I'll be looking for, Evan. Sorry for the long-winded answer. Chris, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure we'll get Diablo back this week. Uh, the bigger question is, like, which day he'll come back for practice and, and everything like that. Uh, like, he, I don't think he'll be one of those, oh, I'm coming back on Thursday or Friday and only have a day or two to practice before the game. I, I think judging from, you know, he missed the Duke game. And then he missed the UNC game. So I would think he would be back. Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest? At the latest, yeah. Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. So I, I'm sure he's been back practicing now, which helps. You know, poor Devin Taylor. You know, Fuente mentioned this. They played Devin Taylor some at corner against UNC, and he didn't even get back to practice until Friday. I mean, the poor guy couldn't even practice, and they had to throw him out there against a high-level offense like that. Yeah. I don't think that'll be the case with, the, with Diablo, though at the same time, you know, he still missed – two weeks there will still be a little bit of rust there but you know I think that there are certain issues with the defense that are that are somewhat unavoidable I think they might have a guy or two on the inside up front that aren't necessarily fits for the scheme 
Uh, we don't even know that the entire scheme has been installed because they didn't have spring practice and a bunch of coaches and players were out and they had to shut down the program. I, I bet that not everything is installed and what has been installed Certainly, they don't have a complete grasp of it yet. So there's nothing you can do about either one of those things right now in the middle of the season. Uh, so to me, I, I want to see them tackle better this week. Um, don't don't let an eight-yard gain turn into a 40-yard gain like we saw so many times last week against North Carolina. If they can tackle better this week, then, then they can uh, – you know, prevent those chunk plays and, and make BC drive the length of the field. So I think there's certain things in this situation that's kind of out of their control right now. Uh, but hopefully if they can tackle better this week, that will uh, stop the bleeding. To That'll a help extent. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Again, so great to have you with us as you're listening to episode 141 of the tech sideline podcast brought to you by the Fisher law firm, Evan Hughes, Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Uh, great to have you with us. And now we transition to breaking down this Boston College team that looks a lot different than the 2019 Boston College team. You know, it's kind of a running joke, I feel like, that in the NFL, well, I know you follow the NFL and Chris too, but <laughs> J- Jeff Fisher was the coach who always went eight and eight, it felt like, right? Like never a winning record, never a losing yeah. record. Jeff Fisher was always eight and eight. Well, Steve Adazio, who's the coach of Boston College from 2013 to 2019, he went 44 and 44 wow. in his time at BC. And it always kind of felt like the Eagles every year were six and six, five and seven, or maybe seven and five. So in comes Jeff. NFL experience was previously a co defensive coordinator at Ohio State before getting hired. This is a Boston College team that looks a lot different than last year. So, Chris, uh, what kind of. Uh, energy has he brought to this Boston College program and when you watch them what stands out why do they look different under Jeff Havley uh you know he's a defensive coach by trade uh it's it's interesting that they're throwing the ball all over over the place he hired uh Frank Signetti as his offensive coordinator Signetti's coached in the NFL for years and he's like he was the Packers quarterbacks coach a couple years ago and he's been an offensive coordinator in college and in the NFL so they're throwing the ball around a lot, maybe partly because of his personal philosophy and maybe partly because I don't think their offensive line has has, has been as good as, as it was expected to be. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of football they play long term because it's just really odd seeing a Boston College team completely give up on the running game. I mean, they gave up a, 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 on the running game in a very close game against North Carolina and obviously – as Virginia Tech proved last week, you can run the football in North Carolina, and BC just gave up on it, I, I assume, because they just don't think they're any good at it. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that takes shape long term, uh, whether they, they do try to develop more balance. I, I, I would think they would. Uh, I think he's a pretty, on paper, the hire makes sense. You know, he's a guy who was from New Jersey. I, I believe he went to high school in that you know, New Jersey Catholic League, where Boston College historically has recruited so many players. So, uh, you know, the, the hire makes sense for them. Uh, it's it's one of those things uh, it, you're just not, not going to know for a while. But I, I, I don't know. It's one of those things like, do was it even a good idea to fire Adazio? I mean, six and six every year is is not not great obviously but with boston college resources can they consistently do better than that i, I don't know I, I think that they're they're better than i expected them to be so far this season uh they're good defensively got a good quarterback 
they got to really work on that running game. And you get, you got to think that if, if there was any week where they were going to try, try to establish anything on the, on the ground game, that it would be this week. Yeah. Um, so when I look at Boston college, uh, and when we study the, the statistics, uh, we, we had a couple of great posts on our subscriber board this week from guys who subscribed to pro football focus and, and really broke down, um, the quarterback play at Boston college and the overall offensive and defensive play. And, and I, I haven't had a chance to watch them a lot, but I've probably seen a couple of halves. And um, I wonder if Adazio had had the Phil Jerkovic, the uh, um, transfer quarterback. I think he's from Notre Dame. Uh, you know, he's a pretty darn good quarterback. And and they've got Zay Flowers is an outstanding receiver, very explosive. They've got one of the – a guy who's typically regarded as one of the better tight ends in the country in Hunter Long. You know, that's a that's an offense – and, and I – I think I just said it. I think David Bailey's been underutilized. So that's an offense that's got a lot of weapons. And over on the defensive side of the ball, if you study the advanced stats, they get good edge pressure from their edge defenders, whether you define those as defensive ends or outside linebackers. They're they're pretty solid on the edge. They're 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 weak in the middle of the linebacking core. And I don't know what the advanced stats say, but but watching a little bit of their game against Pitt, um, they uh, they're Cornerbacks are physical, you know, so I think that the new coaches re- retain some of the hallmarks of the, of the of the previous regime, you know, physical cornerback play. And um, they are, to me, Boston College is the biggest surprise in a good way this year. And I think Louisville is the biggest surprise in a bad way. They're much worse than anybody expected, despite having, you know, their weapons on the field. Yeah, very well said. I think many thought Louisville was going to be a consistent top 25 team this year, and uh, it has certainly not been the case uh, this year. Chris, so Boston College, 3-1 and one on the season, a solid win over Duke, a nail-biter win against Texas State, and a one-point overtime win against Pittsburgh. Their one loss to North Carolina by four points. Chris Coleman, is Boston College legit? like they showed against North Carolina? Or is this a team that's still unknown because of a shaky performance against <clears throat> Texas State that took a last-second field goal to come away with a win? You know, it's it's hard to say. Maybe they had an off day against Texas State. Or maybe the ACC's just not very good. That's entirely possible. Like, I, I don't know what North Carolina's ranked this week after after beating us. I assume it's somewhere close to no- – they're, they're ranked fifth in the country. Number five, yeah. I don't, Virginia Tech has a darn good running game, but the number five team in the country, I think we're really, really good, but North Carolina's not, or excuse me, I think North Carolina's really, really good, but I don't think they're number five in the country. I think a number, the number five team in the country would not have given up 45 points to a team that played its backup quarterback for half a football game. Um, so I, so I, I just don't, I get a, feeling that the ACC is not very good. Uh, like everybody talk was even after the season started, everybody was talking about Pitt and you know, Pitt, all Pitt can do is defend the run. They're just not really good at anything else is what it looks like to me. Uh, Louisville doesn't play any defense. You know, when Virginia tech plays them, that game might be 56 to 45 again, except the other way this time, I think tech will probably would probably win it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think BC's done well for what everybody thought they were going to do. Uh, how good are they exactly? I don't know because I, I, I don't know how good the ACC itself is. It's, 
or, or again, you know, maybe they just had an off day against Texas State. But I, I think to win that game, I think they kicked a last second field goal as time expired. So they were very, very close to losing. Pretty that game. much. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, one of the highlights of this Boston College team is their quarterback. And I know we're going to spend a decent amount of time talking about him. Um, Phil Jerkovic has put together some incredible numbers through four games on the season. First of all, six foot five. 226-pound quarterback. Justin Fuente and his media availability this week actually compared him to Big Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's thrown for over 1,100 yards this year. That's most by any Boston College quarterback in four games. Eight touchdowns, only two interceptions. When you look what jumps out on the tape and just how much of a threat does he pose to Virginia Tech, especially at secondary? Well, he's a redshirt sophomore, so what you see from from Phil Jerkovic right now, you're you're going to see it even better next year, and even better the year after that. So keep that in mind. Um, we we talked about him being a transfer. He's not a graduate transfer. He's a guy who's got a lot of eligibility left. Um, Fuente talked about his size. Um, he is a big dude, um, six five. Uh, what'd you say, having two twenty five? Two twenty six. Two twenty six. He can put on probably another 10 to 15 pounds the longer he's in that program. You know, uh, so many teams miss so much time. A lot of guys are behind on their strength and conditioning. So he can get even bigger. Um, I don't know. Again, I'm not a big NFL watcher, so I don't know if the comparison to Ben Roethlisberger is one that I would agree with. And this is going to sound kind of strange, but in uh, in in watching Jerkovic play for a half against, uh, in the, I guess, our last game against Pitt, um, he's, he's good downfield. He can really work you downfield and work the middle of the field. I wouldn't say he's got a cannon. He's got a strong arm, but when you watch a guy like Roethlisberger play, I mean, boom, he fires the ball and, and Jerkovic, uh, to me has more touch on it. Um, that's not to discount the strength of his arm, which I think is plenty strong enough. Um, so when you study the advanced stats, uh, what you learn is that, like I said, he works the middle of the field pretty well deep middle of the field, Zay Flowers averages almost 20 yards a catch. Um, Flowers is so quick, I honestly don't know how much of that is catch and run or yards after catch or how much is him getting behind defenses. Um, but Jerkovic's not particularly good at, at working the sidelines according to the advanced stats. Um, now, as far as what just, just observing him play, I think he's got a really good pocket presence. He's one of those guys that um, you know, Pitt, Pitt's got a really good defensive line, and they brought a lot of pressure. Um, I don't know how much of it was blitzing and how much of it was just from the front four. I just remember play after play thinking, man, they're really they're really getting in there. And Jerkovic's really good at, at avoiding the rush. I, I don't want to say almost Dan Marino-like because the way he does it is different. Dan Marino had that little slide step. He was not athletic at all, but he could, he could slip and then fire the ball. Jerkovic is a guy who avoids the rush, gets out in open space, and just like Sam Howell, keeps looking downfield and keeps making plays downfield. And I think one of the most, to that point, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about him, one of the more interesting things about him is that his passer rating, when he's not pressured and when he's under pressure, is basically the same. And that's pretty impressive. That's not true of a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I get the Roethlisberger comparison uh, for, for when it comes to style of play. Like, like he's he's a good runner when it comes to scrambling. 
as Roethlisberger was in his prime. Like Roethlisberger was good in the pocket. He was strong. He could keep plays alive, the ball downfield. Now, from a size standpoint, you know, Roethlisberger's a couple cheeseburgers away from moving to offensive guard, so they, they don't really compare <laughs> from that standpoint. But uh, I, I think from style of play standpoint, I, I, th- I think that's what Justin Fuente is talking about. But, uh, yeah, he's a good player. Um, sometimes when you watch Notre Dame play, and, and Ian Book looks really good sometimes and really bad other times, and, and then you watch and then you watch Jerkovic play, you're like, ah, did Brian Kelly make the right choice there? Yeah, I, I, why, I don't why know. did they let him go? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think he's a good player, and I think he'd be even better if they had a traditional running game. Uh, gosh, it's so hard. Timing in college football is so hard. Like, what if Boston College, what if Djurgovic had been eligible last year and when they had A.J. Dillon? Or what if A.J. Dillon was back this year and they had those two guys together? And, you know, you can say the same thing for like Virginia Tech. Like, what if they had this offense, this 2020 offense, all those years when Tech was great defensively, but, you know, couldn't score? Uh, it's, I think it's just really hard. It's really hard to put that consistent product on the field in college football these days. A lot of times you're going to be really good in one place and not so good in the other place. And I think this is kind of an example for Boston College. Like if they had A.J. Dillon this year, they'd be unbeaten right now. And we'd be like, oh, my gosh, Boston College is going to roll, roll in here and steamroll us because they got A.J. Dillon. And what is our defense going to do against that guy? And uh, worth mentioning, A.J. Dillon is now a member of Chris Coleman's Green Bay Packers. So throw that in there. Uh, Real quick, gentlemen, is this the best Boston College quarterback since Matt Ryan? Ooh. uh, Off the top of my head, I would certainly have to say yes. I I think so, yeah. He's he's certainly the one I I fear the most uh, of everybody since Matt Ryan. Uh, the guy after Matt Ryan, Dominic Davis, I think he was an East Carolina transfer. He was pretty good, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anybody else that, that would compare. I mean, it's a short sample size, you know, four games, but so far so good for, for BC. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a dangerous guy. And, and like I said, he's only a redshirt sophomore. If, if he stays there and stays on track, he's, he's going to get even better. So let's talk about the more interesting part of this team. You guys have alluded to it a little bit, but it is this running game. Uh, Their running back, David Bailey, Boston College's running back, six foot, 236 pound running back. And on the season, his numbers 48 attempts, 148 yards, and one touchdown. Chris, in your preview article, you noted that Khalil Herbert has over 400 (laughs) yards rushing. Uh, So Khalil Herbert has more rushing yards than Boston College does. As a team, and so one third the and one third the amount of carries. So and, so yeah, let me let me jump in there and read those stats because I'm sitting here looking at them. Right. The entire Boston College team, 129 carries, 241 yards. 1.9 yards per carry. 1.9 yards a carry of four <laughs> touchdowns. Khalil Herbert in in one less game, 43 carries, which as you notice is exactly one third. 449 yards, which is almost exactly well, almost twice as much. 10.4 yards per carry, which is five times better than the Boston College team, and five touchdowns all by himself, which is one more than Boston College's entire team rushing. So, Will, why do you think they haven't run the ball? I mean, again, this is a Boston College team. Again, I know under Steve Adazio, different, um, you know, under previous regime, but 
you know, A.J. Dillon was a big power back. They ran the football a lot. Are, is it concerning that they're not running the football as much with David Bailey? And like you said earlier, is this an opportunity for B.C. to really uh, get some success going on the ground against Virginia Tech after giving up 600-plus yards in North Carolina over the weekend? Yeah, I wouldn't. So my, my advice to Tech fans would be don't take Boston College's running game lightly, even though it hasn't been all that this year. Um, I, I, I've told this story on the podcast before. I watched a little bit of their uh, game against North Carolina, and I saw one rushing play from David Bailey. And, you know, he's, he's, he's all thighs and, and shoulders, and, and he goes running up the middle. And he runs over two UNC guys on a seven-yard game. And I remember thinking to myself, well, there's that Boston College running game. And they got a guy, they got a guy, another big hoss. And then I come to find out later when you study the team that that's just not true. So um, uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. If they get that running game cranked up to go with that passing game, they're going to be really hard to stop because, as I detailed before, they can get you with Zay Flowers, Hunter Long, you know, Bailey, and uh, um, be, be a tough out. Yeah, uh, you know, it's so interesting He's just done nothing this year. 3.1 yards per carry, 148 yards. Last year, as A.J. Dillon's backup, he had 844 yards, seven touchdowns, and averaged 5.7 yards per carry. So what's the drop-off? Um, you know, I'm looking at this picture of him right here in, in that you put in our game preview, Will, and the thing that stands out to me, and St. Andrew, who's a smart and perceptive guy, pointed this out on the boards earlier today, is he's got a big old gut now. And last year, he was you know, six foot, 236 pounds. And it looked like it was all muscle and he just doesn't look like he's in shape this year. Mm. And that could be for a variety of, of, of reasons. <clears throat> I think I see where you're headed with this. I mean, I mean the, maybe he had COVID, maybe he was hurt. Maybe he was out with contact tracing, uh, you know, BC, uh, you know, they, they didn't release if anybody tested positive or anything like that. And so, so who knows, who knows, but and this year we're living in, as we know, as we've experienced in Virginia Tech's football program, you can lose anybody at any time for an extended period of time. So it's possible the guy's just not in, in shape. It's extremely possible. And, and you know, when, when everybody was, you know, locked down, so to speak, from, from March until they started working out again in July, I don't know where Bailey's from. I don't know what kind of background he's from. I don't know what kind of access he had to – a weight room or a good diet and everything like that. So, you know, we could just, he could just be seeing the effects of, of, of maybe not being in a, in a position to take care of himself as, as much as other guys can, you know, sometimes it depends on where you're from, who your parents are, the, uh, the background you came from, uh, what kind of access you have to a strength and conditioning program. And he could be one of those guys that, uh, was kind of on the wrong end of that. But uh, so he's not in shape right now. Go, uh, go ahead, Will. So um, I, 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 th I think that's a very good point. You know, if we sit here and watch these players this year, and you just don't know how all of this has affected individual guys. And I think about Rayshard Ashby, who to me, you know, Rayshard's never been the most athletic guy. Um, but in, in an article that Brandon Patterson did for the, us this week where he was breaking down, great article, by the way, trying to break down the differences between this year's defensive scheme and last year's defensive scheme. He showed a play where, where Ashby came down the line from the backside of the play and ran Michael Carter down from behind and tackled him about three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And that's a play I can't see Rayshard Ashby, what I've seen so far this year, making right now. 
and we don't know why. Um, but Brayshard, to, 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 to me, even though he's not the most athletic middle linebacker you've ever seen, um, looks to me even less athletic this year. And maybe something like that's going on with David Bailey. Looking at the rest of this offense, uh, you know, the receiving core led by sophomore Zay Flowers, 405 yards, four touchdowns of just 21 receptions. And look at some of the numbers he had against Duke, 162 receiving yards and a touchdown. And then against Pittsburgh, guys, 162 yards receiving and three touchdowns, including the game winner. So, I mean, Virginia Tech's coming off of just seeing a couple of great receivers in Diami Brown and Daz Newsom of North Carolina. Chris, is Zay Flowers just as talented as those two receivers? He's a really, really good player. Uh, I'm looking him up on 247 right now. He was a three-star recruit, number 1,202 in the country, the number 189 overall wide receiver, and the 198 player in Florida. Picked Boston College over App State, Bowling Green, Buffalo, and some schools like that. Uh, he has started every game, as far as I know, for Boston College since last season, since uh, his the first game of last season. He, I remember him burning Jovan Quillen for a touchdown down the sideline early in that game last year, and everybody was like, whoa. You know, we knew they were starting a true freshman, and we heard he was pretty good, but, man, yeah, that dude is fast. And uh, he, I think he's explosive. He can, he can get by defensive backs. Uh, so Virginia Tech's corners th- this week, th- they're going to be in for a challenge. I'm not going to say he's better or worse than any of, of, of the UNC guys, but uh, I certainly think, you know, if he played for UNC, he would he would be playing a whole lot. If he, I think he he's a guy who would be playing a lot for anybody. He's he's a very very good player. Yeah, looking at uh, you know, uh, I, I got to imagine that. Um, one of the reasons he was under recruited was his size, 5'11", um, listed at 165 as a recruit. He's up to 178 now. Um, it, sometimes I, it, it's, uh, you know, slot receivers are becoming so important in college uh, college football these days. They're, they're, a lot of coaches are doing a really good job of getting those slot receivers. I, I mean, I assume Flowers is a slot. Uh, I don't, I, when he burned Tech last year, he was on the outside. Uh, I don't know exactly how they're using him this year. Yeah, looking at their starting receivers, they start C.J. Lewis, number 11, who is uh, not a phenomenal physical talent, but he's a good receiver. He's 6'3", 217. And the other starters are Jalen Gill, who's 6'0", 195, and Flowers, who's 5'11", 178. Um, and I, I have not, when I've watched Boston College, actually I haven't paid attention. I just assumed that Flowers was a slot guy, but maybe he's not. Um, so... You know, who, who knows why he was under-recruited coming out of high school? Let's look and see where he was from. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, so he was down in Florida. Um, I don't really have a point here, guys. I'm just kind of rambling. <laughs> you know, one thing about doing these podcasts virtually is that we all have computers in, in front of ourselves. Instead of so, just Evan having the computer. I, it's like we're all doing our own, you know, in-depth research as we go and providing another element to the show. Okay, uh, quickly here. Uh, tight end, you guys mentioned how good Hunter Long is. Six foot five, 223 pound redshirt junior. The Hokies have already faced a dynamic tight end in Noah Gray of Duke. Uh, Chris, are there any comparisons to the two? And how good is Hunter Long? How big of a threat is he in the middle of the field for Virginia Tech to defend against? Hold that question because I just used PFF to look up Zay Flowers. 
55 percent of the time he lines up as an outside receiver. Forty-two percent of the time he lines up in the slot. Oh, that's bad news. They can do so, a lot of stuff. So with they him. do. They do a lot of stuff with him. So yeah, you don't know exactly where he's lining up on a play-by-play basis. So re- really, really good, versatile player. Uh, you, you know, now now back to the uh, back to Hunter the t- Long. Yeah, Hunter Long. Uh, 6'5", 253 pounds. It's crazy how often he's been tar- 46 targets in four games. That, that's over 10 targets a game as a tight end, which is... I'm- so, so that, Chris, that's that's roughly 12 targets a game, which is roughly three targets a quarter. Right. And, that, I mean, for a wide receiver, that's a lot. And for a tight end, that's... I don't know. That's got to be some kind of a record, man. That, that, that's crazy. He's been targeted 46 times. Flowers has been targeted 37 times. No other BC player has been targeted more than 15 times. So BC is, is always a team that, that doesn't have a whole lot of depth, skill and depth at the, at the wide receiver positions and things like that as far as guys you can throw the ball to. But when they do have somebody, they're generally really, really good. And this is a case, yeah, they've got a couple of guys that are really, really good, but I, I don't know how good the rest of them are. Like They're not going to come at you in waves of talent like, like UNC did, but the guys they do have are very good. Yeah, I'm curious to see how many targets he does get against Virginia Tech, as you mentioned. I mean, that, that really is impressive for a tight end to have that many targets, that many receptions. All right, last thing about the offense before we transition. I always like to look at the offensive line. A couple of seniors that start, Zion Johnson at left tackle, and then at right guard, it's uh, Ben Petrula. But I want to uh, mention their right tackle, Tyler Vrabel, the redshirt sophomore. His dad is Mike Vrabel, three-time mm-hmm. Super Bowl champion of the New England Patriots and the current head coach of the Tennessee Titans. So there's your interesting stat of episode 141 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Um when you look at the uh, the battle in the trenches, Boston College offensive line, Virginia Tech defensive line, Chris, how do you think that matches up on Saturday? I don't think the BC offensive line has, has been as good as people expected it to be. Man, now that I think about it, like when's the last time Virginia Tech played Boston College where you went into the game saying, man, Virginia Tech's got a better offensive line than Boston College? Whoa. Just, uh, yeah. Uh... 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, something like that. Uh, so that's been a while. Um, I, I don't think they've been a disaster, but at the same time, like, I, I don't think they're quite as good as people thought they would be. Maybe they've had trouble adjusting to a new scheme. Cause I mean, it's a new, we talk about Virginia, uh, Virginia tech having trouble adjusting to a new defensive scheme because they didn't have spring practice. And because, you know, they missed practice time in August and they had coaches out and things like that. Uh, I don't know if BC's had any coaches out or how many of their players have been out or if they had to stop their program or anything like that. But I do know they miss spring practice like everybody else. And, you know, maybe for that offensive line, maybe whatever they're doing differently now has been an adjustment. Or maybe just their running game issues or the fact that Bailey's out of shape. Uh, It could be either one. Um, But I don't feel like this BC group is quite as strong as you might normally expect. But at the same time, I don't think they've seen a defense like like Virginia Tech so far, and I don't mean that in a good way. Like, like <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, uh, the Carol- Carolina defense isn't great, but it's better than Virginia Tech's. Uh, the Pitt defensive front is certainly better than Virginia Tech's. Uh, 
you know, D- Duke isn't that great, but at least I, th- I think they have some semblance of, of what they're doing down there. And I don't think Tech does at this point. Um, so we'll see. Like I said earlier, like if BC was going to pick a week and say, man, we need to get more balance. This is the week where we're going to try to establish the run. This would be it. Uh, so let's let's throw a stat out there that uh, in, in, all, in all of our conversation about uh, Jerkovic, we we forgot to include this one. And uh, of course, I've scrolled down the preview. Um, so if you look at PFF um, stats, Jerkovic has a, has a very strong big time throw rate of eight point six percent. So he's a guy that, as Chris says in a preview, he can make NFL level throws. Um, but he also, and I think this is part of the fact that he's only a redshirt sophomore and needs a little more seasoning. He's got a turnover-worthy plays rate of 6.1%, which is third highest of ACC quarterbacks. Um, that means one out of every 16 plays, he's going to make a mistake that is turnover-worthy, whether it actually results in a turnover or not. Um, if they, if BC wants to minimize that, they'll go more to the running game. So we'll... Uh, like, like we've been saying, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Interesting stat, and there's a lot of interesting stats, including PFF grades about the Boston College defense. We'll get into that in just a moment as we'll step aside for a break. You're listening to episode 141 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back inside episode 141 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It is great to have you with us. I'm Evan Hughes alongside Will Stewart and Chris Coleman breaking down the Boston College Eagles. We just touched on the offense. Let's shift our attention to the defense. Uh, They forced eight turnovers in in four games, the Boston College Eagles, five interceptions, three fumbles. Chris, I want to start with you because in your game preview, which I highly encourage all of you to go read on TechSideline.com, very insightful, you mentioned that their pro football focus grades are actually really strong on defense in terms of how they rank compared to other ACC teams. What jumps out to you about this defense? Well, I think it's it's their balance. So like they're not like great against the run, but bad against the pass, or, or great against the pass and bad against the run. Uh, you know, overall they're number three rushing, they're number three tackling, they're number seven pass rush, they're number five coverage, they're number two. So they're, they're just a strong balanced, solid defense across the board. And, uh, you know, and that, that, could, that could make things difficult because if a team doesn't really have a discernible weakness, you know, it makes it a little bit harder to game plan. Uh, they've only got one player that's really graded out poorly this year. That's uh, McDuffie, their, their linebacker, who actually leads them in tackles, tackles for loss and sacks, which, which is an indicator that traditional stats – you know, linebackers make tackles and, and things like that by default. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're playing particularly well. So, you know, maybe Virginia Tech will be able to isolate him and and, and get some plays going on. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think, you know, we talk about the BC offense having not seen anything like the Tech defense yet as far as the rush defense goes. It's 
I also think the Tech offense will, will be a substantial challenge for for the BC defense. I, I think, I think maybe on balance with Hooker with Hendon Hooker, the Tech does, doesn't have quite as much talent. You know, with the, obviously the wide receivers as UNC does, but they do have better tight ends. Uh, they get just as good a running back production. Their offensive line is better, and I think you can. I'm not saying Hendon Hooker is as good as Sam Howell, but I think you can do more things like at the college level uh, with Hendon Hooker. So I, I don't know that, that the BC defense has seen an offense uh, quite as good as Virginia Tech's either. So it'll be an interesting battle there. But yeah, it's just a good, solid defense across the board. So Evan, to your to your point about turnovers, uh, Boston College is number eight in the country, and, and remember, this is only out of seventy six teams. Boston College is number eight in the country uh, in turnover margin at one point two five. Both BC and Virginia Tech have turned the ball over three times, but Tech has only forced three turnovers in three games, and Boston College has forced eight in four games. So um, that that's one of those stats that plays in in Boston College's favor and. Um, this is getting away from uh, particularly strictly a defensive discussion, but uh, something that I put in our game preview is that uh, let me scroll down here and find it. Um, the, the Hokies are, you know, something that's not really being talked about with Virginia Tech is how good they are at, at uh, not committing penalties. Um, Virginia Tech's number nine in the country with four penalties a game. And Boston College commits seven and a quarter a game. So Tech's ranked number ninth in the country, and Boston College is 55th out of 76 teams. So that, that's, a, that's a good sign in Virginia Tech's direction. And remember, if I remember correctly, Chris, there were, there were, uh, there were two penalties very late in that UNC game. I think, of course, one was called on Dax, and then I think another one was called associated with that same play. Those weren't even game time penalties that affected right. the outcome of the game. And even you know, Chamori Connors was included in that the fifteen yarder, and that that's not a normal penalty, right? Yeah. So so it's not like Tech is being going out there being undisciplined. I think for who Tech is, like I think Justin Fuente has a pretty darn good idea that his defense isn't going to be able to hold up this year, or at least not by Virginia Tech standards. Uh, so I think they're really good so far at winning the hidden yardage battle, like, like, which you have to win when you have a defense that's going to give up a lot of yards and a lot of points. You've got to be able to win the penalty battle. Uh, you, you've got to be able to do things like punt the ball with their quarterback and gain 20 yards of field position and things like that. So, you know, I, I think the defense is what it is. And I think Fuente knows that. And I, and just judge, just, I said this on Monday, but by doing a pooch punt early, so early against UNC, I think it showed that he knew that the defense w- wasn't going to be able to stop UNC. And when, when you, when you know something like that, you've got to, you've got to find other ways and other phases of the game to offset that to a certain extent. And, you know, Tech does have a really good offense. They're 10th in the country in special teams rating so far this season. So I think they're doing all they can to offset their defensive advantages right there. And that, that includes penalties. One thing to note about Boston College's defense, they have five graduate starters on defense. So definitely some experience on the defensive side of the ball. All right, it's almost to the point in the podcast you've all been waiting for. It's time for predictions. But... It is time to do our read about grit. One of our partners here at Tech Sideline, a sponsor of the podcast. You know, Will, 
Uh, I was extremely proud of how great Nick Brown was hosting on Monday, but one of my favorite <laughs> things that he did was how he seamlessly weaved in the grit read. I did not do as good a job today as he did on Monday, but again, it's great to have our friends at Grit aboard here at Tech Sideline. Hey, you know, so you mentioned Nick's name, and uh, he texted me something that's interesting to us Radford guys last night. Let me go find it. Connor Litton, the uh, Radford High kicker, was offered a scholarship to Boston College and is committed to Boston College as part of their 2021 recruiting class. So, uh, of course, of course, Nick is a Radford Bobcat would know that. And I told him I would pass it along and give him a shout out. Um, Litton went to uh, he's got a strong leg. He went to tech kicking camps and they really liked him. But Boston College, uh, if you look at his 24-7 profile, uh, Boston College is apparently the only team to offer Connor Litton a scholarship. So that's why he's, he's going up, taking his talents up to BC as part of their uh, 2021 recruiting class. So, you know, if he winds up being a good kicker for him, don't, don't get all up in uh, Virginia Tech's grill for not being on him. It's just one of those decisions. Uh, they didn't feel like they could offer him a, a uh, scholarship. And that is a, it's not unusual for kids from this area to go up to Boston College. Uh, um, I actually looked a kid up last night because I couldn't remember his name. I went up to the 1996 game at BC that Virginia Tech played up there, and I remember being in a restaurant, and there were a bunch of people wearing Pulaski County football gear up in Boston. And it was the family of a kid, I believe it was a cornerback named Tim Davis. I don't know if Chris remembers Tim Davis or not. Um, pretty solid player for BC, started for him. And uh, so it's it's it happens. It's it's strange to think of a kid from Southwest Virginia going all the way up to BC, but it happens. Um, and now I've gotten off track and forgotten what the question was. Uh, he'll be taking a lot of grit with him from Southwest We South are talking <laughs> about grit gear. So <laughs> go to techsideline.com and, and select the more menu and our sponsors, and uh, you will see. Grit Gear linked there, so check them out. They have added, now let me click on this while I'm looking at it, because they told me that they have added hoodies. So let's go to apparel, and yes, there they are. They have black hoodie and an orange hoodie. And the hoodies are very affordable, 35 bucks. They're uh, Gildan uh, hoodies, and and i got to get them to send me one of those. Hey, guys, instead of paying your sponsorship bill, send me some hoodies. So... <laughs> Very cool. So check out. Oh, and they have keep jumping T-shirts that they've added. Also, I missed that. So they've expanded the product line, and uh, so go check them out. And as as we've said, they got grit and keep jumping uh, face coverings. So thanks for the opportunity to promote them, Evan. Absolutely. No, we love having them a part of our TSL family and uh, mentioning them on the podcast. All right, here we go. Time for predictions. Uh, This is always my favorite part when I get to the end of Chris's uh, game preview. I get to read his prediction. I get to see Will's thoughts. I already know where you guys are going with this. I have to say I really agree with your assessments and why you picked the score the way that you did. Chris, let me start with you. Give me the final score. Who wins and why? Uh, You know, so far this year, both Tech and Tech's opponents are scoring more points than I've been predicting in my game previews. And that's that's true for all three games that Tech has played. So what does my gut say? Uh, my gut says 31-24 Virginia Tech, but everybody scored higher than my gut feels so far this year. So I'll go 34-31 Virginia Tech. I think it's an extremely even matchup. I'm picking Tech because I think that they're more ba- – well, I know they're more balanced offensively. The question is how much better will the Virginia Tech defense play? 
this week? Will, will we see a better performance from them? If we don't, you know, it, it's going to be a long afternoon. But but I, I think it, this is good. This will be a higher scoring game than Tech fans are accustomed to. But I think that's the way this whole season is, is going to be. You're going to see a lot of games in the 30s and maybe some even in the 40s. Will Stewart? So I have a long-standing tradition of never picking Boston College to beat Virginia Tech no matter what. And so I'm not, I'm not going to break that this year. Um, it, it has been kind of difficult the last seven years. Boston College has actually won four of the last seven in this, uh, in this I don't want to call it a rivalry because most Tech fans just would rather not play Boston College. Sorry, BC fans, if there are any listening at this point. Um, so, so, so take that. Keep that in mind. I never pick Boston College to beat Virginia Tech. And I'm almost right there with Chris. Um, I, I sat down and I wanted to pick Tech to score in the 40s because that's what they're doing. They're averaging 42.7 points a game. And then I hesitated because um, it's possible that this Boston College defense is better and maybe far better than anything that Virginia Tech has faced so far. So I waffled, but in the end I landed on uh, – Picking Virginia Tech to win 38-34. So like Chris, I think it'll be really close. Um, so I'm sitting here looking at our game preview, which was posted late last night. And one of the things we do is we we allow, we put a poll up for fans to pick what they think the margin will be. And so far we've got 580 votes in that poll. And 60% say the Hokies will win by 1 to 10 points. 60%. So that's that's where Chris and I land. 20% think the Hokies will win by 11 plus. So that's 80% of our readership, which is, of course, Hokie fans and tends to be a little optimistic. 80% of our readership thinks that uh, Virginia Tech is going to win this game so far. Uh, now, if you want to look at last week's poll, because uh, we also put that at the end of our game previews, we put the results of the previous poll. And in that one, 72% of Tech fans thought Virginia Tech was going to win over North Carolina. Um <laughs> Now, that was 2,000 votes, so that's a pretty stout uh, cross-section of the fan base there. So just thought that'd be fun to share. And I'd, I'll throw out there that the line for this game is 12, which to me just seems absurd. I think that's it, crazy. It, it seems totally absurd. So only 20% of Tech fans, though, think Tech will cover this week if, if you take this uh, the feedback from this poll. 20% 20, uh, 20 say Tech will win by 11-plus. Everybody else thinks either Tech will win by 10 or fewer or that BC will win. Yeah, really good points. Yeah, I just I just think that that line is I just don't I just don't see it like uh, like the and again a, a line from Vegas doesn't mean that's how they think the game will end up. That's trying to influence betting and try to get balance on both right. sides of the, of the ledger, you know. Well, but I I don't see that. Folks, you know why Will and Chris get paid the big bucks? Because they can do math on the fly like they just did. So the analysis, the math, the preparation, they do it all. And they both pick Virginia Tech to beat Boston College. Again, this Saturday, Hokies back at home for just the second time this year. 8 o'clock kick on the ACC Network, Virginia Tech and Boston College. All right, gentlemen, our first podcast over Skype. Uh it was a fun one. We got a lot accomplished in an hour. Any closing thoughts before we sign off? Yeah, let me let me go first. Um, I, I think the audio from this is going to sound okay, and I got to admit, I kind of like being able to look stuff on the stuff up on the computer. I really like not caring what I look like. 
<laughs> you know, and, and, and I know nobody's going to listen to this podcast and comment on what I'm wearing or what I look like. So that's kind of nice. But, uh, you know, uh, of course, we, we are still dedicated to the the video model. So we'll keep working on that. And uh, um, hopefully COVID will be over sometime within the next 30 years and we can go back to doing video podcasts. Yeah, that kind of echoes my thoughts. I'm wearing my sweatpants that I wore to the gym this morning. Uh, so I'm very, very comfortable. And, uh, you know, like you said, I have the, I had our game preview open this entire time and just scrolled up and down. And, and I, I think, I, I think it went very smooth because of that, because just having the, not that we don't take information with us up there on the set during a regular podcast, but just sitting here able to read it, I, I think went well, really smoothly. To be able to look up the PFF numbers in yeah. the middle of the podcast. In the middle of the podcast. Nice. Yeah. Yep, I think so. And I got to wear a Patagonia jacket and my Twins hat. Uh, first time I've ever done that on the podcast. So yeah, everybody hey, was comfortable. Hey, hey, everybody. Evan's cap is on backwards. <laughs> Evan would never go on video with a backwards cap. <laughs> never. I would. Well, I never go on video with a cap on, for the record. But uh, this was a last second. Uh, so I like this hat backwards more than I do forward. So, uh, you know, if I'm talking about a backwards hat, an hour into the podcast that we are just about wrapping. It is time to wrap this thing on up. the podcast. Well, gentlemen, great show. Uh, looking forward to recapping the Virginia Tech Boston College game on Monday. Of course, uh, stay posted to Tech Sideline on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Tech Sideline. And hey, be sure to go follow Tech Sideline on Instagram. Nick Brown's doing a great job running our Instagram and putting a lot of great time. Bonus coverage, if you go look on our Instagram story right now, you can see Michael Vick's touchdown run against Boston College, one of those electrifying plays in his time as a Hokie. That'll do it for episode 141 of the Tech Sideline podcast for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder, CEO, uh, Will Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for listening to episode 141 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Enjoy the game this weekend.